Thank you, Susan. And thanks to everybody that has participated this morning, and thank you for being here. I want to just start just with a quick prayer about the time that we're living in. Lord, just as Susan has shared with us, we, uh, we, we need you to show up. Lord, we need you to show up in our homes uh, as we hunker down in a way. We need you to show up on our streets where there is unrest. Lord, we need you to show up and have mercy on us, Lord. This is a time where we are drawn to you and we need you to speak to us, give us wisdom. We need you to help us persevere through times that are really different. Uh, would you be with us now? Would you help us, Lord? Would you equip us for your ministry of reconciliation? Lord, our world is in a desperate need of being reconciled to you and to one another. So we equip us to be part of that ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. In the heat of the American Civil War, one of President Lincoln's advisors said he was grateful that God was on the side of the Union. Lincoln replied, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. What a great challenge for us who assume that God is there to support our plans, our perspectives, our decisions, our desires. However, Lincoln's reply reminds us that even our best plans may not be near to what God desires. So wrote Joe Stovall in Our Daily Bread, What does God desire? It's not a mystery. God has made his desires known. One of the things that God desires is reconciliation. God does not pick a side. God cannot be recruited to a side. God calls all sides of any issue to set aside differences and to join his work of making things right between them. God was not on the side of the Union, nor was God on the side of the Confederacy. God's desire was reconciliation, the North and the South setting aside their differences and joining God's work of making things right between the Union and the Confederacy. Because there was no reconciliation between the North and the South, our nation continues to struggle with unresolved issues. From the 1800s, black slaves were set free with the Emancipation Proclamation delivered by President Lincoln on January 1, 1863. In part, that proclamation reads that on the first day of January, in the, the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, shall be then, thence forever, and forever free. Slaves set free, we say yes and hallelujah, the right thing to do. But there was no reconciliation between black and white Americans. So our history records 101, year, 101 more years before the Civil Rights Act of 1964 
The long title for that act reads as follows, an act to enforce the constitutional right to vote, to confer jurisdiction upon the district courts of the United States of America, to provide injunctive relief against discrimination in public accommodations, and to authorize the Attorney General to institute suits to protect constitutional rights in public facilities, public education, to extend the Commission on Civil Rights, to prevent discrimination in federally assisted programs, to establish a Commission on Equal Employment Opportunity, and for other purposes. The title of the Civil Rights Act suggests 101 years of black Americans denied the right to vote, discrimination in a host of public services because of skin color, unequal employment opportunities, civil rights for black Americans. We say yes and hallelujah, yet no reconciliation. And how, now, now here we are, we're 56 more years. 56 more years have passed, and black and white Americans are still not reconciled. So, so let me try to be as clear as I can in understanding what I believe God is saying to us from 2 Corinthians 5. God is not on the side of the black American, nor is he on the side of the white American. God is looking for men and women, regardless of race, to serve as ambassadors for Christ Jesus, who work hard to persuade all sides of every issue to drop their differences and to join with God in making things right between them. That's a mouthful, but I want to say it again because I think it's really important. God is not on the side of the black American. He's not on the side of the white American. And, and you could broaden that out. He's not on any side of the divides in America. What God is looking for is men and women, regardless of race, to serve as ambassadors for Christ Jesus, who work hard to persuade men and women on all sides of any issue to drop their differences and then to join with God and making things right between them. The Bible says, it's, says it this way. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I've listened to you. And on a day of salvation, I've helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. Let me do the best I can to communicate what I think Paul is trying to communicate to us. Paul, he knew he was an ambassador for Christ Jesus. If we would have asked Paul, or could, we could have asked him, whose side was he on, he would have answered, well, I'm for Jesus. Another way it would be, I'm for the king, King Jesus. Or another way he might say, is, I'm for the kingdom of God. It was Jesus 
who gave Paul the authority to serve the kingdom of God as an ambassador. And the authority of the message of reconciliation spoken and written by Paul was the authority of Jesus, the king. Paul spoke Jesus' message. Paul was Jesus' mouthpiece. Paul was delivering the message of reconciliation not because Jesus was absent, nor was Paul continuing the work of Jesus as an ambassador for Jesus with the authority of Jesus. Jesus was speaking his message of reconciliation through Paul. And with the authority of Jesus, as if Jesus himself were saying the words, Paul begged his audience, be reconciled to God. Take advantage of what God has done for you. In the message, what has God done? God put the wrong on Jesus, who never did anything wrong, so that we could be put right with God. You know, when we, get, when we, when we divide, we want to put the wrong on the other side. And then the other side wants to put the wrong on our side. And it can go back and forth and back and forth for centuries. But the brilliance of what God is saying is put your wrong on Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I want you to put the wrongs on me. Because I've not done anything wrong. So when we put those wrongs on him, we can be set right with God. And when you're, when you're put right with God then you can be put right with one another. The New Revised Standard says it this way, for our sake, for our sake, regardless of where you are on whatever divide, for all of us, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We might be right. When we all become the righteousness of God, we can be reconciled both to God and to one another. And then Paul is saying, don't let this gift pass without effect. Don't, don't let what God is offering be taken in vain. And then, he, then his, his final appeal is now, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Be reconciled to God now. Be reconciled today on this day of salvation. So all of that begins to raise a whole host of questions for me. Who are the ambassadors of Christ today? Who are the representatives of King Jesus and the kingdom of God. Who are the ambassadors of the kingdom who can face the challenge of not assuming that God is there to support their plans, their perspectives, their decisions, their desires? Who's the mouthpiece of Jesus to the black American? Be reconciled to God. Who's the mouthpiece? To the white American, be reconciled to God. Who's persuading all Americans, regardless of race, to be reconciled to God, resulting in the dropping of our differences, 
Who's encouraging all Americans to enter into God's work of making things right between them? As you ponder those questions, my perspective is that we have been avoiding reconciliation for a very long and painful time. Some might be tempted to doubt the effectiveness of Jesus' teaching as the ultimate solution for setting things right between us. There's good cause for that. When those in the church are considered the custodians of the ministry of reconciliation, fail to be the ambassadors, that causes a lot of problems. I ran across the following words written by J.B. Phillips and want to share his insights with us in an attempt to answer some of the questions that I've raised in the, in the conclusion of a small book entitled, Your God is Too Small, J.B. Phillips writes, Critics often complain that if the world is in its present state after 19 centuries of Christianity, then Christianity cannot be a very good religion. Those that make that claim make two mistakes. In the first place, Christianity, the real thing, Christianity, has never been accepted on a large scale and has therefore never been in a position to control, quote, the state of the world, end of quote, through its influence, though its influence has been far from negligible. In the second place, they misunderstand the nature of Christianity. Christianity, the real thing Christianity, is not to be judged by its success or failure to reform the world which rejects it. If it failed where it is accepted, there might be grounds for complaint. But it does not so fail. Christianity... The real thing, Christianity, is a revelation of the true way of living, the way of knowing God, the way to live life of eternal quality. It is not, it is not to be regarded as a handy social instrument for reducing juvenile delinquency or the divorce rate or, or, or. Any, quote, religion, end of quote, provided it can be accepted by the majority of people, can exert that sort of restrictive pressure. The religion of Jesus Christ changes people if they're willing to pay the price of being changed so that they quite naturally and normally live as sons and daughters of God. And of course... They exert an excellent influence on the community. But if real Christianity fails, it fails for the same reasons that Christ failed. And any condemnation rightly falls on the world, which rejects both Jesus and it. Let me repeat 
a couple of those thoughts. The real thing, Christianity, is not to be judged by its success or failure to reform the world. The real thing, Christianity, is not like, quote, any religion that can be accepted by a majority of people who can then exert social reform by restrictive pressure. Now, I want you to really take a serious moment and consider that thought in the light of contemporary church and politics in America. The real thing, Christianity, is the religion of Jesus Christ that changes people. People who are willing to pay the price to be changed. So then they quite normally and naturally live as sons and daughters of God. So for example, if I were to have been raised by natural parents who taught me to look down on people of color, who taught me to be prejudiced, my commitment to follow Jesus would at some point bring me to a point of repentance, confession, and change. Because the, the kingdom of God does not recognize that prejudice. So sons and daughters, willing to pay the price to be changed, become like their father, and they become like their older brother, reconciled to God, reconciled to one another, one another, empowered by the Holy Spirit to persuade their generation to drop their differences, to enter into, the, into God's work of making things right between them. Reconciliation is hard work. These sons and daughters willing to pay the price of being changed, these are the ones empowered by the Holy Spirit who are the messengers of reconciliation today. May we invite the Holy Spirit to do His ministry with us this morning. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. This day of tension and division come we need your counsel we need your wisdom we need your truth as the Holy Spirit rests upon us I'm asking that you would be honest with yourself and honest with the Holy Spirit Whose side are you on? Which Christianity are you looking for? A religion accepted by the world that exerts restrictive pressure on your neighbors? so that they live according to your preferred morality? Or the real thing, Christianity, that changes people from the inside out 
as they say yes to the transforming ministry of the Holy Spirit. Being honest again with yourself and the Holy Spirit, do you assume God is here to support your plans, your perspectives, your decisions, your desires? Or have you surrendered those plans, those perspectives, those decisions, those desires to the King, Jesus, and His kingdom? Allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate you with this. When did you first realize Christianity is not a religion? It's a revelation of the true way of living, the way to know God, the way to live life, a life of eternal quality. Being honest with yourself in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Are you reconciled to God? Are you reconciled to others? And if your answer is yes, to whom will you speak? the message of reconciliation today.